This morning we're going to continue our study of the gospel according to John. Last week I completed a study of John 6 verses 1 through 58 by way of the doctrine of witnessing, the doctrine of walking on water, the doctrine of bread of heaven, and the doctrine of the woman of Samaria. Now when the clock told 7.45, we were about to begin an analysis of John 6.57 through 61. So let's read again those verses. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he, who, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, Jesus said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And we've seen a map before of Capernaum and where he actually set up his, quote, household, close quote, there on the uh, Sea of Galilee. Now, let's go on to verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? All right, now let's have a point or two about manna. I know we've talked about the doctrine of manna before, and as we go through manna, keep in mind that manna actually, uh, according to the New Testament, is representative of the uh, Word of God. And there are many analogies it's found in the New Testament that we will get to later. All right, manna is then used in Scripture both figuratively and literally. The more important Old Testament Scriptures relating to manna are Exodus 16, 14 through 35, Numbers 11, 1 through 9, and again Joshua 5, 12. And I'm going to quote in part these verses. Let's go to Exodus first. Take a look at Exodus 16, 14 through 35. Where it says, When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? In fact, that's what, by the way, the word manna in the Hebrew is ma, which is an interrogative. So what is it? Well, they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Now dropping down to verse 22, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath of the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Then verse 26, it says, Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be no manna. In other words, there will be not any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? In other words, they should have known there wouldn't be any there, and why did you go look for it? Now, verse 33 of chapter 16, book of Exodus. So Moses said to Aaron, 
Take a jar and put it on, put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. In other words, to teach Israel what manna was and what God had done. So it'd go in the temple, the tabernacle first, of course, the temple later. And as the Lord, verse 34, commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. <clears throat> the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. <clears throat> they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Now after that point, <clears throat> excuse me, you may recall they were to plant and eat what the Lord provided for them and eat what the Lord provided for them. But they worked for it. Alright, now let's go. Go to Numbers 11, 1, and then we'll drop down to 4, and then pick up verse 5. Now the people complained about their hardships. If only we had manna to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Of course, it didn't cost them anything because they had to work for it making bricks. But now they're, they want to complain. Now Joshua 5.12, the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. So that kind of gives us an idea that manna was provided until they got to the land. But when they got in the land, they had to work for it and uh, make their own food production. In other words, uh, it was it was then they were responsible they're no longer going to get the manna. Now let's go to point two on page two. It says manna was used as a teaching aid in the tabernacle and the temples. And we know this from Hebrews 9, 1, reading through verse 4. Now the first covenant, of course the Mosaic law, had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle, a tent, was set up. In its first room were the, were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded in the stone tablets of the covenant. Those were the things inside the ark, which was in, of course, the the, uh, holy of holies. And this is a, a teaching aid that people were taught from what was there in the, quote, tabernacle person in the temple. And we've talked about that before. We have a doctrine of the tabernacle that you can find under Pastor Merritt's study books. Now let's see how manna is used analogously in Scripture. Manna was used to teach the importance of taking in the Word of God. You'll find that in Deuteronomy 8.3 as we compare it with Matthew 4.4. 4. For example, let's look at 8.3 first. It says, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did the fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. And then Jesus quoted Matthew 4.4. 4. But Jesus answered and said, It is written in Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
So doctrine is only provided in amounts commensurate with positive volition, just as doctrine. First you have to want to hear, and then the manna comes. The same, again, with Bible doctrine. As in Christ's kingdom platform, when you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. Scripture 2 there, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So when you want doctrine, you'll get doctrine. When you don't want it, you will not get it. And then Exodus 16, 18, And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and who, who he who gathered little did have not too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed just as you get the amount of doctrine that you want. And you need to uh, the doctrine, of course, to live the Christian life. You will get what you need to be able to do that. All right, doctrine also is a grace gift from God, and it can either be a source of blessing or cursing. The Jews of the Exodus generation grumbled at having to eat manna, and so God withheld it and made them eat quail until it came out of their nostrils. In other words... They were filled with quail, and they finally got so much they couldn't stand it. Thus, the people in every age who reject doctrine, the people in every age, that would include us, who reject doctrine, which is the heavenly manna, which we've seen, are subject to discipline. Certainly the same is true today. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So God will allow people to use their own volition to swallow the lies of the many scoffers who abound in the last days, certainly including us because we are in the last days. The next eschatological event will be the rapture of the church. But until then, there will be scoffers who abound. All right, Numbers eleven eighteen. tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Well, if they complain, now God's going to give them some meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Numbers eleven, nineteen, and 20. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord, which was getting manna, who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? All right. When the Jews did not follow God's protocol, <clears throat> bad things happened. The same was true in the kingdom age, and the same is true today in the church age. Rejecting the bread of heaven results in consequences. And I haven't provided you a number of scriptures to that effect. For example, Exodus sixteen, nineteen, and 20. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Driving down to verse 27, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. In other words, six days you go out and get the manna, not on the seventh, but some disobeyed. 
And then Matthew 8.10, reading through verse 12, when Jesus saw the faith of the centurion, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the children out of the kingdom shall be cast. That's just about the judgment day. When the rapture has occurred and the Lord comes back and he decides who's going to go into his millennium with him and who's not. There will be some that will go. You remember the sheep and the goat and some that will not go. Now, Matthew twenty three thirty four. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Romans nine thirty and thirty one. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but Israel? who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained to it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, which was the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace message. All right, now let's go to verse 33. As it is written, say, or see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. All right. Manna was designed to sustain the Israelites physically during their trek to the promised land. When they got into the land, however, you remember the manna and the Medes, a direct gift ceased. Now let's go to verse 12 of Joshua 5, which we have seen. The manna stopped the day before they ate this food from the land. No longer was manna served but you had to produce it in in Canaan. All right, manna was used to test Israel, so also today. The protocol plan for acquiring doctrine is a test of the believer. Come into the church, sit down in the church, listen to the church uh, pastor, and take in the word. That's the protocol. But some people don't. So it's kind of a test. Are you ready to take in the word? Uh, and do you take in the word or not? Notice it's related to manna. Deuteronomy 8.16 He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. And then Exodus 16.4 Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. There are negative believers in every age, and certainly that would include our age of the church. To some of the Exodus generation, the manna was bitter, and to others it tasted like honey. So today, the Word of God is appreciated by some, and for others, in varying degrees, uh, it's not appreciated. In fact, often it's hated. People hate the Word of God because it tells them what to do and what not to do. 
and it tells you about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it tells you about Him coming, and it tells you how faith alone in Christ alone saves you. But some reject that entire grace message. All right, now let's go to Numbers eleven six. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Ooh, here they come. They're going to complain. Verse 10, Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. And Moses also was displeased as the leader. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight? That thou layest the burden of all this people upon me. Poor Moses. All right, as manna was taken for granted, so also is the word of God. In Psalm 78, Israel's rejection of manna is used in part to describe Israel's reversionism. Reversionism meaning rejecting the word of God in the case of Israel. The first verse of us, of course, in the age of the church, it's a reference to uh, not taking what God has provided on this printed page and from the pastor teacher. All right, here we go. I'm going to read certainly most of Psalm 78, 12. He did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. He divided the sea and led them through. He made water stand firm like a wall. He guided them with a cloud by day and light by night. He spit the rocks in the desert and gave them water. He brought streams out of rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. But what did they do? They continued to sin against him. They willfully put God to the test. They spoke against God saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? When he struck the rock, water gushed out and streams flowed. But can he also give us food, they said. Can he supply meat for his people? Oh, when the Lord heard them, he was very angry. And uh, his fire broke out against Jacob and his wrath rose against Israel. Because they did not believe God or trust him. So he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. So man ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heaven and led forth south wind by his power. He rained meat down on them like dust, flying birds like sand on the seashore. And that was the quail. He made them to come down inside their camp. They just fell in their in their uh, camp and all they had to do was pick it up and put it on a stick and get it in the fire and eat it. But they turned from the food that they craved even while it was still in their mouths. God's anger rose against them. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. So discipline failed because people rejected manna, which was representative of what would come later as the word of God. And thus there is application for us. So the word of God today is manna from heaven. Like the Jews of the Exodus, subsequent generations have rejected God's heavenly food and indeed suffered for their errors. You notice Proverbs speaks to the problem. 
He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, that would be Bible doctrine, even his prayers shall be an abomination. We have a form of that particular verse right there in the New Testament. So let's go to verse 1 now in Proverbs 12 as he continues to speak to us. Whoever loveth instruction loveth knowledge, and he that hateth reproof is brutish. So the attitude of a believer toward Bible doctrine determines whether he will receive blessing or discipline in time. It's made clear. It is made clear in Proverbs 8, 33 through 36, and I'm going to read. Hear instruction and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoever findeth doctrine findeth life, and he shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against doctrine wrongeth his own soul. And all they that hate me love operational death in time. Wow. It's important to take in the word of God, isn't it? Joshua one eight says, Daily study of the word will make the believer a unique success. I love this verse because it tells us very clearly, you want to be success in time? Well, uh, Joshua was told by Moses, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make thy way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Wow. Okay, Manuel Storage says the writer of Hebrews to remind Israel of its coming blessing when the Lord returns. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through... I'm going to go ahead and read that through 28 in part. So let's see what we've got here. Then Verity, the first covenant, had also ordinances of divine service and worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle, uh, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So that's, uh, you'll remember our schematic of the t- tabernacle where you had those holy place and then the holy of holies and you have the outer portion and I gave you the meaning of all of that in the, under the doctrine of the tabernacle and it had the second veil you had a veil at the end of the first place which is the holy place and then you had a veil to enter the holy of holies where there was a golden censer in the ark of the covenant uh, and you had a pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in that ark along with the tables of the covenant. Those were there to remind people of its meaning. And again, it's a training aid. And I spoke to the training aid on many different occasions. And then, of course, they had priests to serve in the first tabernacle during the service of the Lord. Uh, then, however, Hebrews 9-11, Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not at this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And that has been done. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean 
set apart to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. And what was the sacrifice? Of course, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ did not enter into the holy place made with hands. Those were only figures of the true uh, place. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So, nor yet, nor yet, says verse 25, that he should offer himself often as the high priest did. No, time and time again the high priest had to go through all of the ritual and explain what it meant to people. But uh, as is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Our complaining about manna brought severe discipline from God. Thus is rejecting Bible doctrine results often in discipline if it is good, if it is what we need. Again, I've quoted it, Hebrews 12.6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now notice Numbers 21.5 and 6. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, excuse me, which could be translated, therefore, therefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. Oh, they're complaining. For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loweth this light bread, the manna. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit that people, and much people of Israel died. So I'm provided, says the Lord, and you reject it, and I receive the discipline. So also today there is a judgment for negative believers who reject the protocol of God, which is the intake of the word of God under the filling of the Spirit, you come, you sit down, you're quiet, his name is sent to God, and you receive from your right pastor teacher the Word of God. I'm going to read you Revelation 3, 14, 15, and 16. Book of the Revelation. Remember, this is the only book in the Bible that gives you a promise of blessing if you study it. All right, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would then you work cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. A reference again to negative volition in every age, but particularly here as a demeaning uh, uh, as application primary application to the church at Laodicea, and that's the church of the tribulation. All right, in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4, and we'll read through verse 9, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, 
but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And he, and he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now verses 6, reading through verse 9. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overflow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment for punishment. So again, a reference to uh, the selection of the nephew of uh, Abraham who selected the wrong place. He wanted to go with the bright lights. Uh, and of course, he rejected the Lord when he got there and felt the pain and the suffering for his bad decision. But he was delivered, though not his wife. And he did enter the promised land with Abraham. All right, manna, not daily collected, vanished, just as doctrine left on the printed page cannot be used under the heat of adversity. It must be in the soul before the enemy attacks. And how is that done? Well, you, again, name your sin back to God, sit down under your pastor teacher and take in the word. It can be done many ways. It can be done by going to the church house. Or it can be done on the internet. Or it can be done on a podcast. Uh, it's the uh, way the Lord works. When you want doctrine, you're going to get it. But doctrine must be in the soul. Not any, not on the printed page. If it is to be of value. And following the colors to the high ground. In other words, growing in His grace. Notice John six fifty eight. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And I provided you a little chart to show the mechanics of taking in the word. You can see Bible doctrine comes into the soul. You've got the Holy Spirit when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you also got a human spirit. So when you name your sin back to God, the sequel here is like lighting the candle. Now there's light in there and you're going to be able to understand the Word of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to teach your human spirit. And by faith, you're going to appropriate what God has provided by moving doctrine because you believe what you have knowledge of. In other words, this Holy Spirit teaching the human spirit provides perspicacity. And by faith you're appropriated over into your right lobe, where the scripture says the day star, the morning star, lights up. And now you can produce divine good. Alright, let's leave manna for now and move to a study of John 6, 62 through 65. And I shall read. What if, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh, the flesh counts for nothing. 
The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. I think the best way to teach John 6, 62-65 is to review the doctrine of the ascension. But also it might be helpful at this point for you to take a look at the doctrine of Judas Iscariot. Or I analyze Judas and draw conclusions about such questions as was he a believer or an unbeliever, uh, etc. So you can go again to Pastor Merritt's study books found, of course, under the the westbankbiblechurch.com and you go down and you select uh, Pastor Mary's study books you click on it and you go down and you find Judas Iscariot you click on it and now you have a written teaching but I'm going to review and we have done that most recently in this particular study of John so I think the best way might be to review at least the doctrine of the ascension so, doctrine of ascension and seating of Christ. Definition and concept. The bodily transfer of our Lord from the earthly to the heavenly sphere of existence. That's what we're going to talk about. The ascension is then that doctrine of Christology pertaining to the glorification of Jesus in hypostatic union, being seated at the right of the Father, in the place of honor. And of course the ascension occurred after he'd been in the grave. He took care of the sins of the world. And he appeared to a lot of folks, about 500 at one time, and uh, told them where to go, go to Galilee. And he goes to the, and they, they watch him ascend up into heaven. Oh, what a glorious situation that must have been. So both the ascension and seating of our Lord were accomplished in resurrection body. And when we talk of the seating of the Lord, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty uh, after he had ascended into heaven, a visual ascension as we will see and have seen. Uh, and oh, did they glory in that. It was just that they did not understand what was to happen afterward, that there would indeed be a church age and uh, a tribulation and a Millennium, but they will learn much later on, and that's how we are to learn. We start out as a, a baby in Christ, and we move toward adulthood. All right, this ascension of our Lord forms the climax of Jesus' strategic victory in the angelic conflict. The primary account of the ascension appears in Acts one nine through eleven, and Luke twenty four verse fifty one. And of course, to know more about the angelic conflict, you can go to Pastor Merritt's study books and find a detailed study of the conflict which is going on right now between, of course, Satan and and uh, his devils and the Lord himself who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and the Holy Spirit who has been provided for us to teach us. And oh, there's a battle going on. Alright, so the primary account of the ascension appears in Acts 1, 9 through 11, and Luke 24, verse 51. Notice, and I'll read beginning in verse 9, 
After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Alright, verse 51 says, And it came to pass while he blessed them, he, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. The tertiary reference in Mark 16, 19 is rendered questionable by inferior textual evidence. In other words, Mark 16, 9 through 20 do not appear in the better manuscripts. However, the ascension is assumed as the foundation for numerous statements in the New Testament. Let's just take a look at some of those. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earth, not on earthly things. And then Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And then Hebrews 8, 1. The point of what we are saying is this. We do not have such a high priest as, as in old times. We did not have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, but today he is there. Or, in fact, there is hardly a New Testament writer who does not give testimony, direct or indirect, to the truth of the ascension. According to Luke, the event took place approximately 40 days after the resurrection. Acts 1-3, remember Luke wrote the book of Acts. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Luke also tells us it took place near Bethany on the Mount of Olives, disappearing into a cloud. Disappearing into a cloud. Luke twenty four fifty and 51, when he, had, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Acts one twelve. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. After he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Whether the cloud was that of the Shekinah glory or a natural cloud of vapor, the record does not make clear. The ascension, however, was anticipated in the Old Testament. Psalm 68:18. When you ascend on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts for men, even for the rebellious that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Ephesians 4:8 is related. Notice this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. In Psalm 110:1. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make you enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Now the ascension was prophesied, of course, by the Lord Jesus in John 6.58, 6.61, and 6.22. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Then verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And then John 20, verse 17, Jesus again, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, objection has been raised concerning the ascension by those who approach the record from a purely naturalistic viewpoint. They assert that such violation of the law of gravity is unthinkable. However, for those who accept the possibility of supernatural intervention in the world, the ascension should not be a problem. All right, so much then for today's lesson. Now I'd like to provide you a way of salvation as found in the Scripture. There's a lot of folks who like to add to the Scripture and have you walk the aisle jump through other psychological hoops and uh, promise the Lord, for example, you'll not do this again. But uh, that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But again, as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So how do you do that if you are, of course, without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life? You simply tell God the Father uh, that you are believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. So you can do that right now in the privacy of your home or in the uh, wherever you might be, whatever you might be doing. Just tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son. And again, don't uh, look for any psychological hoops to jump through or certain promises that you are to make, except you're saying, I am going to believe this day right now on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi in the, in the, during the second missionary journey. And uh, the doors opened up, but they just sat there. In fact, they say they were singing. And here comes the, the jail, jailer who uh, was frightened because he thought they got away. They ran away. And now I'm going to be... You know, I'm going to receive the punishment that they were were to receive. But no, they were right there. And he called out, What must I do to be saved? And the answer was, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, Father, I ask that you would take that which I have presented this morning, make it real, in order that we might grow in your grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, for it is in His name I pray. Amen.